0: There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. And then he says, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough, never feel you have enough. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill and in this episode, we continue Pastor Jeff's message about being friends in hard times and how important it is to provide comfort and spiritual support to those who are struggling. There's plenty of examples of this to be found in the book of Job. Here's Pastor Jeff with the rest of this message. You know, there's something else to this, just quickly, and then I'll move on. I met a young girl a few weeks ago. We had a missions event, and I was just m- mixing and mingling with people, and there was a young girl, probably 22, 23, and I could tell by the look in her eyes she didn't want to be there. Have you ever seen anybody at church? You know they don't want to be there. So I walked over to her, because that's a, that's a green light for me, and I walked over and I said, hi, I'm Jeb. She goes, hi. I said, uh, you don't want to be here, do you? No, I don't. I said, I didn't think I recognized you. Have you ever been here before? She goes, no, I'd never come here on my own. I said, okay, why? She goes, well, I'm agnostic. I said, okay, so you're open to evidence to believe in God. She goes, what? I said, well, you, don't, you know what an agnostic is, right? An agnostic is open to evidence. An atheist says there is no God, but you've just said you're an agnostic. So you've said that if I can give you evidence of God, you'll believe. Of course, what'd she say? No, no, that's not what I meant. I said, well, what did you mean? She says, well, I just believe that everybody should do you know, what they see is right in their own eyes. I said, really? Okay. Do you think rape is wrong? Absolutely. Okay, how are you going to convince me that it's wrong? <laughs> well, I don't know. Don't you believe it's wrong, she said to me? I said, well, let's say I don't. Let's say I believe it's okay. How are you going to convince me? You said it's up to the individual. So if it's up to the individual, then... Why can't I have my own belief, even if it differs from yours? What I'm finding is we're not thinking this thing through. It's not workable because the system of morality only works if we all agree on what's moral. And it's hypocritical to claim that Christians are exclusive when everyone's moral law is exclusive. Now, stay with me here. What is the, I don't know if you know much about university settings in America, but the number one university in America that protests absolutely everything, man, is Berkeley. They protest protesting. They protest everything. Now here's what's ironic about that. In their ethical classes, their university professors who teach philosophy and ethics teach that morality is left up to every individual. Do you see the contradiction? okay so right and wrongs left up to every individual but i'm going to protest when your right and wrong doesn't agree with mine it doesn't work people don't think it through it's unworkable it's unworkable it's unfair because it denies what we owe others that people have invested in us so we can't just do whatever we want and it's unimaginable because we can't agree on the definition of hurt now one more one more it's uncouth and this is where the story comes out what we are free to do in this world is to love, right? Isn't that great? You can choose to love. But the more you love someone and the deeper you move into a love relationship and the more wonderful it gets, is it not true that the more in love you become, the more you give up your independence? And yet, the one thing we all want is love. If I... Finished preaching in Los Angeles, and I get in my car and I head toward Vegas. And my wife notices it's eight o'clock in the evening, and my husband's not home. And she calls me, and she says, "Honey, where are you?" Imagine me saying, "You're not the boss of me. I can go wherever I want and do whatever I do. You can't tell me what to do." Now, those of you who know my wife, <laughs> know there would be a silence on the other end of the phone for a moment. Followed by something like, Do you know how close you are to the end of your life? (laughs) It doesn't work like that. The more you fall in love, the more restrictions that naturally happen. And marriages work not if one or both parties say, Me first, my needs first, I'm all that matters, then the relationship will struggle and die. But if both relationships, both parties rather, in the relationship habitually say, You first, I will adjust for you. I will give up my desires in order that I might meet your needs. Then there's no exploitation, and a relationship of great richness occurs. Now, here's the clincher. If I were talking baseball, I'd say we're rounding third going home, but I don't know what you're doing, cricket. We're coming back to the wicked, I guess. (laughs) The mutual sacrifice, this is an important line now. The mutual sacrifice of autonomy leads to a wonderful kind of liberation that only love can bring. Okay, let me read it again. The mutual sacrifice, that's the giving up. The husband and the wife, I give up uh, my sense of self-lead uh, to a wonderful kind of liberation. Okay, how can giving up my rights to do whatever I want lead to freedom? Now, here's how. Because Jesus is going to say in this passage that you're wondering why we haven't read yet. I told you we'd go through the back door. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now stay with me. Keep that in the back of your mind. For the longest time in my ministry, and I'm talking to you young pastors now. Everybody can listen. (laughs) You young pastors, hear me. For the longest time in my ministry, my self-worth and my self-esteem had to do and was tied directly to how well I performed on Sunday. Okay? So the only time in my life during the week that I felt a sense of incredible freedom was Sunday night. Because the sermon had been delivered after all week's work, and because my significance and my self-esteem and my self-worth was tied to that, that evening I could relax And if I had done a good job, I felt important. I felt valued. I felt like I had purpose and meaning in the world. You with me? Now, as you get older, you realize that will kill you. Because we pastors, we get pregnant every Monday and we deliver on Sunday. That's what it feels like. Pregnant, labor, 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 deliver. Pregnant, labor, 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 deliver. That's the tension. Now, I know some of you women are thinking you've got no idea what labor is you. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. No, I know that. Just bear with me here. <coughs> and then a beautiful thing happened. I fell in love with this beautiful woman, Robin. And I noticed something happened when I had kids. I noticed that something at home happened to change my view of everything in the outside world. Suddenly. My sense of self-worth and significance and esteem was gained from my wife and kids. (laughs) Now, because my self-worth, my self-esteem, and this void, this emptiness that we all have was being filled to a large degree, not completely, because that'll get you in trouble too, but because it was filled to a large degree in my family, I was able to have a better relationship with external things. In other words, I continued to love my job but I used it not to gain self-esteem or self-worth. I got that from my wife who loves me. So now I could truly be free in my job to enjoy my job as it was meant to be enjoyed. I didn't use it for something that it could never possibly deliver, self-esteem and self-worth. I related to my friends in a different way. My friends were no longer a means to an end. They were really just my friends. And I didn't have to prove anything to them because everything I needed, I was getting from my wife and kids to a degree. I still wanted to make money to survive, but I didn't need money to show to the world I was important because my wife gave me that importance along with my kids, fatherhood, husbandhood, all of that. So I noticed in my life that love does something very important to all of us. It gives you and fills you with something that enables you to stop treating the things of the world in a way and expecting those things to deliver something they can never possibly deliver. Now, it is impossible for anyone in this room to live without love. You cannot live without love. Everybody, listen now, everybody in the room loves something. You either love someone or something. Nobody in the room is loveless. If it's not a person, you have attached yourself to something, and that thing that you've attached yourself to, you're hoping it will give you self-esteem, self-worth, and value. Therefore... You have begun to worship it. You worship that which you think will deliver to you what you ultimately need. And so you will obey it, you will serve it, and you will chase after it. Pastors can be the worst. They can. If they're not careful, they will use people as a means to an end. Their self esteem comes from how they're valued. They can lose the plot just like anybody else. And that's why sometimes you read of stories of pastors and what they've done and how they've abused their congregations or people. We're just like, we're human. Just like everybody else. Sometimes there are people who want more than anything else to be on this platform. So they will do whatever it takes to get here thinking that this is their savior. So they start to worship this and serve this. And If they can't do it in their own church, they'll find another church because they've got to do it because their self-esteem is tied to it. Everybody loves and serves something. Everybody has a supreme love. Listen, modern people are in complete denial that we're all driven by something, are in a constant slave master relationship. You are a slave to something. Whether you're willing to admit it or not, you are in a master-slave relationship. Everybody is, and your master is that thing you think is going to deliver what ultimately you're looking for. That's your master. Money, position, power, your job, notoriety, doing something. Some of you, like I said last time I was here, for some of you young people, it's marriage. You think that getting married is going to solve all your problems. You've obviously never been married before. (laughs) I've been reading the Australian postmodern novelist, David Foster lately. So here is a postmodern philosopher, novelist, an Australian who's not a Christian, and I want you to see what he says. Let me read the first part, and then the second part of the quote will come up. This is what he says. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship? Worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. <laughs> and then he says, if you worship money and things, if they, wear, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need even more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud always on the verge of being found out. Isn't that interesting? A non Christian, postmodern Australian novelist says everybody worships something, and whatever you worship will kill you unless it's God. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's chasing something, tied to something, being driven by something, and that's why you'll notice in your own life, whatever that thing is, when there's a chance you won't get it, or if someone from the outside is violating that thing, you become angry, and you will do things you didn't know you were capable of doing. I've been reading Nabil Qureshi's new book. He is a Muslim who found Jesus over a long period of time. His book is Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Nabil and I spoke together at an apologetic conference in Cincinnati, Ohio. My first time I met him, I thought, wow, what a humble guy this is. He's a brilliant scholar. And I like the fact that in his book he's honest because he met a friend at school And The friends started showing him the objective truths of Christianity, how you could trust the Bible as a a historical work of literary antiquity, how you could trust that the resurrection has both objective and subjective proofs. But Nabil Quresh said that even though I knew, I came to the point where I realized Christianity was indeed true, that it could be trusted, that Jesus' worldview is the only one that's coherent in origin, meaning morality, destiny, he said, I still couldn't become a believer. Because to do so, I would have to destroy my identity. Do you understand that's why when you're talking to someone who's attacking your faith, why you get that feeling inside? is because they're not only attacking your faith, they're attacking you, your identity of who you are. That's why you get that sickening feeling. That's why you want to respond in anger. The bill asked the question, To become a Christian, do I have to die and start all over? Man, what do you think I thought of immediately? John 3, Nicodemus. You can't even see the kingdom until you're born again. My point is simply this. I have people say to me, Pastor Jeff, that's why I'm not religious. I don't like religions because I have to die to what I like and what I want and do something else. But you're missing the point. Everybody on the planet is religious. There's no such thing as a non-religious person because everybody's in a slave-master relationship to something. Everybody's putting their hope and their trust and their faith that something will deliver what ultimately they're looking for. Everyone places their hope in something. No one is truly masterless. Everybody's a servant to something. Now let me read the passage and end the sermon. Matthew 11. Listen to what Jesus says with all that in mind. Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now, this passage is not as popular as it used to be because a lot of people will say, wait a minute. Jesus says, My yoke is easy. I vote for no yoke. Right? Jesus says, my burden is light. Uh, I vote for no burden at all. But what Jesus is trying to show you that a burden-free, yoke-free life is impossible because we're all driven. That's what a yoke does. It drives the oxen. We're all driven by something. We're all going to have a master of some kind. We're all going to carry a burden and the burden is going to be consistent with that thing that we're serving, worshiping, and trying to get to deliver what it is we think we need. So here's Jesus' challenge. Since you know that you're going to have a master, wouldn't it be wise to choose a master who's going to affirm, cherish, empower, and honor you rather than ones that will exploit and abuse you? (laughs) That's Jesus' point. If you're going to choose a master, choose the right one. Choose the one that will give you precepts, but he does so because he wrote the manual on you And if you live within those precepts, the abundant life is yours. You do realize most of the situations we get ourselves in is because we violate the precepts of God. And I just love it when somebody spends 30 years violating every precept God has given, and then boom, they want God to fix it. If you serve your career, your career will crucify you. If you serve your body, it will crucify you with destruction. If you serve every untamed passion without parameters, eventually the sailboat will be smashed on the rocks. If you choose Jesus, then you can trust Jesus on the basis of what he's done for you in the past to be the master that you can entrust your life to, knowing that his precepts are for your own good, that any restriction or limitation he gives Is because he loves you and wants what's best for you. Now, the problem with most Christians in the West is that we found Jesus as a loophole, as a get out of hell free card, but we never fell in love with him. You see? We just wanted to be right under the law but we never fell deeply in love with them because when you fall deeply in love with them something happens and this is the end of the sermon here's what happens when you fall deeply in love with God when i fell deeply in love with my wife man i was a, I was i was such a great quarter in humility i tell you that i was a great boyfriend i sent her roses almost every day I never wanted her to come back from class because we met at university without finding a rose at her door. That cost a lot of money, man. But you know what? I never saw it as a cost. I never saw it as a cost. It was my pleasure. All of my friends in my hometown, when they got married, they would take their wives to Pigeon Forge. Pigeon Forge. It's a little hole in the wall. Dollywood. And I was determined when I married Robin, I was not going to take her to Dollywood. I was going to take her to the beach, the ocean, so she could swim with the dolphins. I worked all year to do that, to save enough money. But you know, I never looked at it as sacrifice. I looked at it as, this is something I really want to do to bring a smile to Robin's face. As a matter of fact, at Christmas now, as you get older, I'm a lot less concerned about the gifts I get. My real concern is, will my wife like the gift I got her? Right, Byron? Byron. And other than the one year when I got Robin Nutrisystem, other than that year, I've been on a roll for a long time. I just had a little brain mishap. Here's my point in all that. Here's my point in every bit of that. Because I'm so deeply in love with Robin, so deeply in love, duty has become choice. I choose to do those things because I know it brings a smile to her face. When you fall deeply in love with God, here's what's going to happen. You're gonna get everything you need from him. And when you're rightly related to God, you'll be rightly related to everything else. Your job will be fine, your golf will be good, because you won't try to use them to get something that only God can give you. And that will give you a freedom, man, freedom. I mean, think about it. God gives you this huge sandbox and He says, play anywhere in the sandbox. Do whatever you want, man. Just don't get outside the sandbox. So I'm free, because I know I'm in the sandbox. I'm free to have some fun trusting that the abundant life will come and a smile will come to God's face. Man, I wish I could get into the head of the next generation. And I hope I've gotten into your head a little bit. Nobody can do whatever they want to. Your desires will conflict each other. You're not self-made. Somebody's invested in you. You don't belong to yourself. You've been bought with a price. But the most important thing is that God loves you. And the reason we don't obey him is because ultimately we don't trust him to deliver on his promises. Because when you get to the point where you trust him, it's going to be amazing how these duties that you seem as wearisome become choice and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Father, thank you for the power of your word for such a simple passage to know who we truly are and this master-slave relationship that we're all in. May we choose you as our master the one who will not exploit us but will give us the deepest desires of our heart. I pray for every person who's got a decision to make. I pray for every person who's allowing something other than you to fill the void or attempt to fill it when there's no way it can that this would be the night that they'd give it over to you. This would be the weekend when they say no more. I'm giving it all to him. I'm going to trust him. So that duty might become choice, and I might bring a smile to the face of God in Christ's name. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me